Welcome to Francis Investment Council's Fiduciary Advice at Work podcast. I'm Ann Lapnow, Business Development Consultant for Francis Investment Council, and today we're going to be discussing a specific investment solution that plan sponsors may consider, managed accounts. We're going to talk through the basics, covering what managed accounts are and how they compare to perhaps more well-known solutions such as target date funds. Then we'll talk through the advantages and potential drawbacks that plan sponsors should understand. Joining us today from the Francis team is Cliff Dunteman. Cliff serves as a Vice President of Investment Consulting Services at Francis. He brings the added perspective of a client relationship manager. What that means is he interacts directly with our firm's plan sponsor clients on a regular basis, granting him insights on the issues and decisions they face. Cliff has also helped some of our clients evaluate managed account services. We are also joined by Ed McElveen, who serves as the firm's Director of Research. Ed leads our investment analytics team and spends a good deal of time on the road himself conducting on-site investment manager due diligence. He brings a first-hand perspective of considerations to be made when evaluating managed account products. Cliff and Ed, thank you both for being with us today. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. So starting off, I wanted to share kind of a confession, I guess, for you guys and the audience here, and that is that when I was growing up, I can't think of a time that I ever sat there and imagined wow, one day I am going to do a podcast on managed accounts. (laughs) Our listeners, I think, may feel the same. Managed accounts are not necessarily the most exciting topic, but we find ourselves discussing them with our plan sponsor clients, largely because there's a desire to help employees with their investment decisions. So industry-wide, there seems to be sort of this increased interest in offering personalized investment advice as an employee benefit. From your perspectives, um, where is this interest coming from? And maybe, I guess, the better question is, why is personalized investment advice so important? Yeah, well, clearly, and um, we're hearing mo- from more and more plant sponsors an interest in reviewing managed account services um, for a variety of different reasons. But let's face it, most importantly, it's because the retirement plan is increasingly becoming the single largest asset that most people will have Mm -hmm. upon retirement outside of possibly their homes. And in a recent Federal Reserve study, they showed that 54% of non-retirees actually have a defined contribution account. And so past the conversation of how much should I be spending or how much should I be saving, I should say, in the retirement plan, the next obvious question is, where should I invest it? And let's face it, most people have lives outside of work. (laughs) And so they're not sitting around watching um, CNBC or reading the Wall Street Journal. And so it's not really an area of expertise or interest. They just don't know where to, uh, they just don't know where to invest the money. And so the, the person that they naturally go to to ask the question is their employer who is sponsoring the retirement plan. Makes a lot of sense. There's so much complexity in the market environment right now that you have a lot of information that is coming at you. There's a lot of things that are mailed to you from your employer. There's a lot of things that get mailed to you from brokerage houses and emails. And some of it, you don't know what to trust. Some of you don't know what to open and trying to find out what is actionable. So when it comes to this personalized investment advice, it is having the ability to have the plan sponsor offer a partner, offer an advisor that can help navigate a lot of this stuff uh, that is coming at them and find a strategy that makes sense, uh, something that is able to be 
workable uh, for the here and now that you can make contributions to and something that really fits uh, individually what people want to do with their lives and what kind of goals they're seeking to achieve. So the, the investment world has many different ways to sell itself and advisors have to be able to find a solution uh, and give something that is very personalized based on those unique goals and objectives. It's hard to do, uh, but plant sponsors are finding uh, that there are more and more ways to be able to accomplish that objective. And the popularity of this is just from all the questions and all the different angles that people are thinking about this. Sure. So it really sounds like this is partly a way of managing information overload. Um, and also just addressing the fact, as, as Cliff stated, you know, people have lives. They don't necessarily have the time to be sitting and making all these decisions themselves. And you know, I would probably just add, they don't necessarily get the education in school that will help them make these decisions, even though this does become such an important asset over time. Um, so we know plan sponsors are interested in providing, you know, like we said, this investment advice to plan participants. But I wanna back up a second here and put you on the spot, Cliff, and play devil's advocate and ask this, is it really the employer's responsibility to help employees with these investment decisions? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and and when, when you think about the duty that plan sponsors have to their plan participants as part of um, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, which is the body of law that governs retirement plans, um, plan sponsors are not required to provide advice to plan participants. What they are required to do is educate plan participants so that they can make informed decisions. Now, with that said, while there's no direct obligation to provide personalized investment advice to plan participants, um, more and more employers are finding that they need their folks to make good decisions. And part of that is driven by components of ERISA which provides protections to plan sponsors. Um, there's a component of ERISA called 404C, which provides a safe harbor to plan sponsors um, from losses in an individual participant's account, but employers have to do certain things in order to claim 404C compliance. Um, that's where the education component comes in. But in the end, if, if you take a kind of a step back here, the bigger picture item that we try and encourage plan sponsors to think about when it comes to providing that personalized investment advice is, no, you're not obligated to do so, but is it in your best interest as a plan sponsor to make that investment advice available? And, and we would argue absolutely, um, in part, because when you think about it, um, there's, there's things that go on in a person's work life that has financial implications to the employer over the course of time. Um, so studies have shown that employees spend about three hours of company work time managing their own personal finances while they're on the job. And so that creates something called presenteeism, where they're at work, but they're not really being productive. Sure. And so if you average that across all your employees at a firm that has, you know, a thousand employees, that's not a spreadsheet item that shows up for the CFO. You know, but it is lost productivity, which impacts the success of the overall business. Um, so that's that's one aspect of it. Um, you know, the other aspect of it is that uh, we're in a very competitive employment marketplace right now. You know, the unemployment rate just hit a 50-year low, and I was in a in a session 
with the Wisconsin Chamber of Commerce here in the last couple of days. And there was a panel of CEOs that were attending that session. And uh, to a person, they all said one of the biggest challenges that they have going forward is finding and retaining talent. Mm-hmm. And so more and more employers are looking to position themselves as the employer of choice, if you will. And so offering different um, services to plan participants, such as personalized investment advice, gets that employer closer to being viewed as that, uh, as that employer of choice. So because employees are seeking out help from their employers in this regard, we think it's really important for employers to really at least understand the services that are available when it comes to providing personalized advice, mm-hmm. and managed accounts are one of those types of services. Mm-hmm. So it's not only, you know, a kind of going down that line of this is a best practice, but it's also, like you said, becoming an employer of choice, kind of using that as a way to differentiate yourself from, from other organizations. Absolutely. And, you know, the other way to think about this is if, if employees do not invest properly over the course of time, and they have subpar investment results, uh, that can lead to delayed retirement. So just like I talked about presenteeism, the the other bad part about employees not understanding how to invest their money uh, with that delayed retirement is increased healthcare costs. So again, the CFO doesn't see it on a spreadsheet where he can quantify necessarily what that delayed retirement costs the organization, but it's there. It's real. We see it on a day-to-day basis with the employees that we meet with. Well, you got me sold in terms of right. offering this type of solution. Um, but you know, say I'm you know a plan sponsor, and you know, Cliff, I think you've really made a great case for why you know personalized investment advice is is to the benefit not only of the plan sponsor but also to plan participants. So, say I'm a plan sponsor, I want to pursue this type of solution. Um, Managed accounts are an option, but they're actually probably not the most popular tool to sort of provide this type of investment or asset allocation advice to employees. Probably the most popular would be target date uh, funds. So just for the sake of comparison, Ed, could you explain to us, to sort of set the table, what is a target retirement date fund? Well, a target date fund, um, it, they've been in place now for almost a couple decades. And when you look at what they offer, it is a simple but very effective solution uh, that is a fund that a participant will start investing in when they become uh, part of the employee benefits package. And there is a target date for each fund that is established. So if I'm in my 20s today, I'm going to be invested in what would be a 2060 target retirement date fund. Now this fund initially is going to have a lot more exposure to stocks and equity risk. And it's going to be domestic equity, it will be international equity, probably some emerging markets that's going to be included in that. And then there'll be a little bit of bond exposure. And the bonds are typically what we see for more capital preservation purposes that are more important later in a participant's life. And what we're looking to do is to take uh, participant money and investment, and in a target date fund, it follows a glide path. And that glide path starts out 
let's say it's 80% stocks, 20% bonds and fixed income. And then by the time you come to the retirement date, it's going to flip. You're going to see something that'd be a little bit more like maybe 40% um, stocks and 60% fixed income or some variation thereof. So the idea is to have a portfolio that is well diversified, has a number of individual mandates within that single mandate, and it is going to help participants be able to take care of one, uh, one, one issue that frequently comes up, and that is, how should I be invested? The target retirement date solution does provide one answer for that individual. And again, it's assuming that there's a target date off in the distance, 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, and that portfolio is designed to change as your age goes along. You make contributions to that portfolio, and by the end of the uh, target ta target retirement date, you have a pool of money uh, that is then able to be um, taken away from the plan, kept on the plan, uh, but it is going to be more conservative, and it will reflect the fact that you just don't have as much time left <laughs> to work, and you want to make sure that you are preserving capital uh, more so than exposing a lot of that capital to equity risk, which you can do earlier in your working career because you have the benefit of time on your side. None of us are getting any younger, I guess, is, is the point here with target date funds. Correct. But correct. you would say that that type of um, investment solution in terms of, again, it offers a diversified approach, but it's primarily focused on um, a participant's age in terms of deciding their glide path. Um, that's so, correct. And that's the only input right. that matters uh, so in this. For managed accounts, you know, there's a little bit of a difference because this might be more of an answer for a plan sponsor who looks at a target date and thinks, well, that's a good start, but, but that's maybe not quite enough. I want to do something more for plan participants. There, there should be more involved in those investment decisions. Um, Cliff, if that's the case, um, summarize the managed accounts pitch for us. What are they and what makes this offering sound like an attractive solution for plan sponsors? Boy, and they do sound attractive when they're pitched to the plan sponsors, that's for sure. Um, so uh, like a target date fund, the very first aspect of a managed account is that it's positioned as being professionally managed. So for those organizations that provide target date funds, um, one of the things that they talk about is that glide path that Ed had mentioned mm -hmm. is professionally managed over the course of time and it allows the plan participant to really kind of set it and forget it. So managed accounts in, in a similar way are also designed to provide uh, professional investment management advice. The key differentiator uh, with the target date fund is that it's designed to be more personalized. So as Ed mentioned, the, really the only consideration when somebody's selecting a target date fund as an individual plan participant, it's the age. With a managed account, the way that they're positioned in terms of being better than a target date, because that's often what we hear, it, it incorporates not only their, their age, but their income, uh, plan balances, cash flow that they have. And in certain services, you can start to incorporate outside investment assets. So let's sure. say, for instance, you've got a former employer's 401k sitting someplace else. Uh, the better managed account services allow you to factor those components in, along with things like Social Security. So the design behind the managed account is it's more of a personalized professional management approach. They're typically offered directly through the plan record keeper. Um, so the... Uh, the plan sponsor really doesn't have to go seeking 
the managed account service provider. From a separate provider. Yeah, it's already it's already pre-selected by the plan record keeper in terms of you know here's the service that's that's actually offered and. It's also, uh, it also qualifies as what's called a qualified default investment alternative. So back when the Pension Protection Act was, um, was signed into law, there were three different investment alternatives that were offered up as providing protection to planned fiduciaries uh, in case if there were losses in an investment account. Uh, you had the target date fund, which has become by far the most popularly used qualified mm-hmm. default investment alternative. You could use a, a traditional balanced fund, uh, but also included in that list was managed accounts. Uh, and so this is something that provides additional safe harbors to plan sponsors who elect to go down this path of having the managed account be the qualified default investment alternative. So those are a couple things that, that factor into the pitch behind why managed accounts make sense professionally managed, more customized, allowed to be QDIA, qualified default investment alternative, and you don't really have to go out and seek who the service provider is because the record keeper has already established that for you. So that makes a lot of sense, but in our interactions with clients, we usually have some precautions that we share about this solution as well. So can you cover what some of those potential drawbacks of managed accounts might be? Sure, Um, you know, it's a fiduciary decision for a plan sponsor to select uh, a managed account service provider. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in our opinion, uh, as the courts have shown over and over again, there's gotta be a process in place for selecting who that managed account service provider is. So there's a couple things for plan sponsors at a high level to, to think about. Um, first is uh, the potential for um, what you might call kickbacks. In other words, the relationships that we often see between the record keeper and the managed account service provider is that part of the fee paid to the managed account service provider by the plan participant, because there's an additional fee associated with this type of service, above and beyond the expense ratios of the underlying mutual funds used to manage the account, a portion of that fee is often shared with the record keeper. So as an example, if the fee that a plan participant might pay to participate in that managed account is 50 basis points, 0.5% of their account balance. 15 basis points or 0.15% might actually go directly back to the record keeper. And what we've seen in the marketplace lately with some recent court decisions involving Northwestern University and Vanderbilt University is that there's increasing concern that that additional revenue generated by the record keeper should be considered as part of their overall fees collected. Mm -hmm. And it it may very well be, it hasn't been determined yet, but it may very well be the obligation of the plan sponsor to recognize that and renegotiate their overall services agreement with the plan sponsor because that additional revenue that they're earning on the managed account. So it's really important to understand you know, the potential conflicts of interest right, uh, that exist. Definitely another layer of complexity added to the fee side. Absolutely. And one of the biggest areas of litigation over this last, I would say, decade or so has been fee litigation. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's something to be very, very aware of. Um, secondarily is because this is a fiduciary service, you know, the managed account is taking discretionary control over that individual plan participant's account. It's important to understand whether or not that service provider 
is acting as an ERISA fiduciary, which is different than a, a regular fiduciary that's often cited. You know, you mm-hmm. turn on the radio here locally and all kinds of advisors are touting their services as uh, we're a fiduciary, we're a fiduciary. And there's a big difference. An ERISA fiduciary is prohibited from acting in, in their own best interest. They have to avoid what are called prohibited transactions. Whereas uh, an Let invest- me stop you there just for a second. Cover what a prohibited transaction would be. Yeah, sure. Uh, great question. So uh, I guess the best way to look at it, um, the story that I like to tell is, is if you've got a niece or nephew who's running a technology fund based in New York City and they let you uh, use their home in the Hamptons during the summer, and you as a planned fiduciary decide to offer their investment fund that they run as an investment alternative in the plan, uh, that might be considered a prohibited transaction, <laughs> right? Because they're letting you use the summer home for fun uh, as, as the benefit for offering their plan, their sure. investment in the plan. Um, so it's where a planned fiduciary uses plan assets for his or her own personal interest. So again, going back to ERISA fiduciary versus just plain old fiduciary, what is the difference there? Yeah, ERISA fiduciary has to act for the sole purpose of providing a benefit to the plan mm-hmm. fiduciary. The regular old fiduciary just simply needs to do what's suitable, meaning they can be conflicted, they can provide conflicted advice as long as they think it's suitable for the plan participant. So there's a, there's a big legal difference uh, between the two. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to understand in the services agreements with the managed account service provider and the record keeper, to what extent do they serve as an ERISA fiduciary for the managed account? Um, And then lastly is the cost. I kind of touched on this briefly before, but there is an additional cost associated with this type of service. And uh, it's really important that plan participants know and understand what they're gonna pay for this additional service. So that's you know still back to the plan sponsor and kind of untangling what those costs are and then communicating that to the plan participants themselves. Exactly. So I guess in the end, you know, from our standpoint, we have plan sponsors that have used managed accounts. We have plan sponsors, plenty of plan sponsors who use target retirement date funds. It's really up to the individual plan sponsor, I guess, to determine if a managed account service is a good fit for their participant population. In the event they do feel like it is a good fit, a due diligence process is in order to select a managed accounts provider. That due diligence process, however, merits its own discussion. We talk about what that process looks like in greater detail during a separate episode. For now, to summarize the basics of managed accounts, we'd emphasize that there are different avenues for plan sponsors to follow in order to offer a personalized investment advice solution. Managed accounts are definitely one of those options, but for a plan sponsor to consider them, there needs to be an understanding of what they are, as well as the fees and fiduciary status of the provider involved. That concludes this episode of Francis Investment Council's Fiduciary Advice at Work podcast. For more information, please visit our website, francisinvco.com. Thanks for listening and join us again soon as we continue to discuss industry trends and issues that affect retirement plan fiduciaries.